The cream rises to the top. If you build it, they will come. Content is king, and so on. We've heard all the cliches, but the problem is they are totally wrong. Even the best idea, product or project will fall flat if it isn't communicated effectively. On the Figures or Speech podcasts, hosts Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom talk to a wide range of amazingly successful executives, business owners, and leaders about how learning to communicate changed their lives and their fortunes. Every episode gives us stories we can emulate and lessons we can follow. Well, hi, Neil. It's great to have you on our show. You know, you have a really interesting background coming from McKinsey before you became a two-time entrepreneur and founder of Spare Men. I'm wondering if you can give us just the short version of your story and how you got to where you are today. Sure, sure, sure. So, well, first, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I guess the short version is I kind of meandered my way to here following interests of mine wherever they led me. So the short version is kind of had a varied background. I went to you know graduate school in philosophy and computer science and kind of looking back on it, it all kind of made sense that kind of the intersection of technology and content is where I ended up. So yeah, I spent a few years at McKinsey, again, went to grad school in philosophy, kind of left computing altogether and just dove into the books for many years, then went back into consulting for a little while, and then saw this space on the internet that I thought wasn't being handled well, which was recommendations. And I found, I I always found them so fascinating. It helped me consume more content, which is really kind of where my interests are. And I thought I could do a better job. So I kind of worked nice it's in weekends on my first startup, got it to a place and started showing people. Everyone's like, whoa, this is pretty good. And then, you know, made the leap and jumped in and raised some money and grew out and built kind of one of the biggest content recommendation companies that was, you know, eventually acquired and did, you know, did my stint at kind of the corporate world for a little bit and then got the team back together, got the band back together to build something new. So that's, the not very short version of how we're here today. It's at, you know, my latest company, Spare Men. But, you know, largely it's it's always been about the kind of two loves that I have, which is content and technology. So lucky I'm lucky enough to just be able to work in, in those fields, you know. Absolutely. Thank you. You know, that's an interesting point. You said you got the team back together. Tell us a little more about your current startup, Spare Men. Sure. So Originally conceived, we built a kind of a micro podcasting platform on mobile devices. So the idea being you and I could have a quick conversation about your expertise or my expertise, and we can share that out to the world. It turns out, you know, post-production is super valuable in podcasting and in audio, as you probably know from being a podcast host. And we can remove all the ums and and kind of get to the core of a lot of questions. So we also learned the other thing with podcasting is it's an amazing medium, but one that is really hard to promote on the internet. So the two biggest kind of traffic mechanisms on the internet right now for anyone is, is search and social. And oddly enough, audio and specifically podcasting, search and social media both don't really work really well because audio generally things are changing now, but it hasn't been very indexable. And then on social media, it's a very visual platform. And so we had this little feature in our micro recording app that helped people convert their audio to video so that they could promote it on social media. And 
we kind of slowly developed that and people started saying, hey, I just want to use that, but I don't want to use your mobile calling app. And so we essentially in the last year or so kind of pivoted over completely to this add-on part of our entire platform. And that's really kind of taken off. So we've become kind of the leading way any audio producer, so that being podcasting, radio, audiobooks, even some musicians are promoting their audio on social media. That's really cool, Neil. I'm curious to know from you, obviously our focus is on communication skills, and I'm curious to know from you, since you work with a lot of podcasters and obviously people who are sharing their content, what to you, from your perspective, goes into making a great podcast from the perspective of communication? Yeah, I mean, I think the my overall thought is that we're living in that, you know, attention economy and people are just getting bombarded by so many different types of content and media that podcasting has a unique opportunity to connect with the audience. And I think specifically around, you know, what you asked in podcasting, you have this opportunity to connect like no other medium. And the question is, is can you get to that really aha appreciation moment where you can convert a listen to a subscriber and the podcasters who have figured that out are really one of the ones that are kind of growing and then it becomes just a you know a medium like anything else and i think the ones who have really figured it out work on it and iterate you know it was just listening to some stuff by you know mark maron one of the most famous podcasters at this point he's like you know when we started we just kind of threw stuff out there and he wasn't really trying to be perfect first and you know the old kind of tech adage of fail fast or iterate is really i think what stops a lot of people from trying to kind of build their podcast and get to a place where they connect with the audience because it takes a long time to a get better and then b let the audience find you as you kind of get through that journey yourself you know yeah i mean i love podcasts and i'm probably a little too obsessive about how much i listen to them right but what are some of your favorites well, I've been, I just, you know, read Hoffman stuff. I guess I'm in the tech mindset. So there's this new one from Jetty around the World Cup. We have it on here at the office. I'm not a, I used to play soccer. So I kind of been trying to keep up a little bit with the World Cup. I just kind of find different things. I'm actually listening. I'll try to send you the name. I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but around nutrition, I feel like, you know, there's all this information out there in the world where you can Google and search, but hearing two people have a good conversation about certain topics that are really the Q&A type stuff that podcasting does so great, as opposed to kind of print or, or copy, I think is where I find value in podcasting. So a lot of the interview type stuff, and, you know, funny enough, I just listened to Reply All from Gimlet around, you know, this entire topic they had around our last kind of tech company space. So I would say, sadly, I, I would say I wouldn't consider myself a super loyal listener, but I probably consume a handful of podcasts a week. I finished, you know, the latest one from ESPN on Vikram Yoga, you know, since I do some yoga here and there. So I like that kind of casual, I guess, listening experience. I had an, an interesting thought recently because I started my career in publishing and was really obsessed with reading 
and was an avid reader. And I found that listening to books on tape back when books on tape started was really difficult for me. I couldn't absorb the information. And over the last, I don't know, maybe five years, I saw this dramatic shift in my own behavior and that I can't read anymore and that I consume audio really much more significantly. So I listen to books on tape, or I should say audible. I listen to podcasts. You know, when you talk about this attention economy, do you see that happening, that people are really shifting their behaviors to listening versus reading, for instance? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, anecdotally, I'd say I feel it in myself even. You know, the last really long form piece on the internet where you, you know, you scroll and you read at length an article from start to finish, I can't say that I do that as often as I did 10 years ago. And I think that comes down to how many more mediums there are. And I think podcasting, in some sense, has become the best long form medium out there right now. I think it's, you know, obviously movies are highly produced and, you know, probably the preeminent long form medium at this point, but, and books as well. But I think, you know, there's something around on the internet for that like medium 30 to 60 minute investment, which used to be really long kind of articles, you know, anywhere from past 10 minutes up to 30 minutes. And those, I feel like, in general, people aren't reading as much, you know, and I think you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head that, you know, podcasting has kind of filled that void. Now, that being said, I think things are moving less and less. The averages are moving down. You know, the stats I hear is like, you know, our average attention span is less than 10 seconds now. So, you know, <laughs> no surprise there. Yeah, no surprise there. I mean, it's it's crazy. You get bombarded. You know, a funny story, I mean, like I work at one of these co-working spaces and it's crazy to me, but you know, like you go into the men's bathroom and even at like the urinals, people while they're going to the bathroom, just going, you know, to the urinal, there'll be people on their phone as they're doing that, right? And like, <laughs> I, have, I, mean, I can attest to it, I've seen it, I don't do it, I don't know if it happens across the wall, but you're right, it's sort of micro consumption of information. I'm totally guilty of doing it in the ladies' room. I bring my phone with me wherever I go because I feel like I can read something, I can check email, even in the two minutes that I'm peeing. Yes, right. <laughs> right. It's kind of crazy, but I mean, another reason why you should never borrow anyone's phone, but... True. Right? <laughs> Good point. But, you know, I, I feel like I read something, maybe not that recently, in a, within the last couple of years, that our brain chemistry is actually changing. And our preference and that that's the thing that was always interesting on a totally selfish personal level that was really interesting is my brain was so directed towards reading and I literally have ADD I cannot sit and read a book and it's a different behavior I have a hard time read I couldn't get through a whole you know article that took five minutes to read I find myself skimming but I can sit and I can listen to audio for hours and hours on end. So I think that's really a fascinating shift that we're seeing. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think on average, you're not the exception. I think you're following where the trends are going. You know, I think that there's, like everything in technology, there's a lot of good, but there's a lot of bad there too. You know, I'm sure you missed the value of a deep dive into a long book as well. You know, you see this across all media, you know, 
web episode shorter, you know, Netflix are kind of unloading all their shows in one shot so people can binge and consume nonstop and not have to wait a week to consume. I think it's turned into, you know, the information overload plus on demand plus anytime accessible has led to complete fragmentation around consumption that then everyone has to fight for the attention. And so podcasting is in this unique place where people kind of generally opt in and consume and sit back and relax in a background environment and then kind of show their intent and you have that availability longer than most other forms of media out there, you know? You know, I think that's interesting because we're talking about consuming information and how we're consuming it and the way we've, I guess, evolved, whether that's good or bad, that we're taking it to smaller chunks. I'm curious how you see that playing out when you are the one communicating. So obviously there's a wiring process that sounds like happening. How have you seen this change or shift impact the way people communicate from their perspective, the outward aspect? Yeah, I think it's gotten into kind of where's the pull quote, you know, what's the highlight that can really draw in audience and get shared. You know, for my own field, like the biggest issue for podcasters right now is how do you get more audience and grow listenership beyond word of mouth? And, you know, our tool is a solution, but it only enables them if they can find that thing that could reel in and get more social media traction, right? So we're probably on a weekly basis via customer support. We get someone being like, I have an hour episode. What should I pick for, you know, the 30 or 60 second, you know, 60 second limit on Instagram to get the best thing out there and it's such a subjective decision but i think that's what everyone's trying to figure out as a creator too right so you know you think back you know if you ever watch like the actor's studio there was stuff i remember an interview once with steven spielberg and he you know in his mind he was saying while he's shooting he's thinking what's going to be in the trailers yeah oh and and so it's like you know, I think people start figuring out, like, they have to know what's going to help market at the same time they create. The smart, the really good ones start figuring that out as part of the creation process. I think that's really difficult because, you know, you're in the middle of creativity and you're not thinking about marketability as much. And pairing those two is what, like, I think the really the people who figure that out and i you know this is like you've got youtube stars figuring this out already you know teenagers and so on who might even have a step ahead than a lot of other people that's where i think the magic is is going to be and where where true creativity will start moving into because it's not unfortunately we're in this world where getting to substance or really value is not enough but how well you can market it is just as important sadly and that's just the world as it is. I mean, you know, I'm a little bit older, so I, I remember the times where I had to go find information <laughs> and work to get the news. I mean, work, literally work to get the news, you know, go buy a paper, physically consume it, scan it, all this kind of stuff. And now you're just bombarded with, you can't avoid the news, even if you wanted to, probably. You just brought up a really interesting point that we've latched onto as well, which is this whole YouTube generation. Our focus, obviously, is to really help people to communicate better. And we look at the size of the marketplace 
by just looking at the number of YouTubers. And what I find interesting, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, is that we know that 75% of the population is terrified of public speaking, yet every day somebody's new on YouTube. What do you think the difference is there? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was actually been reading a book by a kind of a friend of the family who's in psychoanalysis. The guy's name is Dr. Rubens. And he basically posits that self-expression is like one of the major things that make us who we are and is important for us to get out there. And in other words, those who self-express, essentially, I believe he's saying, and I haven't gotten through the book, have a better quality of life. So whoever can really help get their message out to the world feels happier in some sense. Again, I'm not sure if that's where he's going in the book, but that's what I've been taking away from it at this point. I like that message. <laughs> that's a great message. That certainly resonates with us. Yeah. You know, I'm curious because one is very interesting in that we all want to be able to express ourselves. And as Tammy was saying, everybody for the most part is terrified. And I tend to believe 75 will admit it, the other 25 are lying. They just want to <laughs> And so I wonder when you have this amazing platform that gives people the opportunity to be able to express themselves, to share that, do you hear or get comments from them or inquiries? How do I best do that? Do you have ways of supporting that? Do they touch you about how do I best articulate my point of view? I struggle with getting my message across right and terrified of how somebody might perceive me. Is that a conversation? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you guys probably get it way more than we do since we're just basically a tool. And, and, you know, what you guys are doing is amazing because I think everyone has that level of doubt or most people, you know, probably like you said, 25% who are saying no are probably lying about it. You know, like there's seldom the people don't have any kind of self-doubt, especially around public speaking or putting themselves out there. And I think a lot of these YouTube stars too, it takes time and energy and it takes a leap of faith to try to even get up there and do it. And so we hear some of it, but, you know, at least on our side, we're on the promotion side. So people have already made that risk of creation, which is, I think, the first big step. You know, I used to say, like, a lot of people think about doing stuff, even less people talk about it with people, and then the least amount do it, right? So, you know, these people have gone through all three of those phases of, like, and most people don't get past step one, you know. Everyone says, oh, I want to be a writer. Or, I want to try to put something out there. Or I want to start a podcast uh, or so on. And, you know, like we just did some work to figure out that there's only 600 some odd thousand podcasts or so in the iTunes directory, right? Wow. You know, and that, while that sounds like a big number, that's actually a small number for how much, you know, work. It does take some work, but it's not an incredible amount. And I feel like podcasting is kind of where blogging was, where first, you know, it was kind of a, a smallish medium that just kind of started taking off. And podcasting has its ups and downs, but it's grown a lot in the past year. And I think people, back to that kind of self-expression point, I think they're finding now with so many different mediums, what is most palatable to their personalities. And that's, I think, the beauty. And and I think the internet is making all that kind of stuff possible like never before, right? And now it's just a question of, can you guys help people get through the self-doubt and the performance that actually makes them feel more confident so that they do it more and more, right? 
That's yeah. definitely the goal. Yeah. I, I'd love to know more about you and your own personal experience. So you've had startup businesses. You've had to go out and raise money. I mean, how did that play out for you? How, what did, did you struggle at all in terms of your own communication skills? <laughs> yeah. How many yeah. times did you fall flat on your face in front of an investor? <laughs> oh, sure, sure. I, I don't even know. I can't even keep count, I keep count anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's hard for me to market or present or even ask for money until I feel very confident in the business. And so, you know, I think I hear all these stories of people raising immense sums of capital on a deck or on a kind of not fully baked product or something. I'm like, what is this kind of stuff? And kudos to them. That's, you know, I think it's like, it's embrace who you are. I've kind of known that like my personality is for me to get out there and really give it the polish and confidence that it needs, I need to feel that. I can't really fake it. And so I just kind of work as hard as I can on getting to that level of happiness with the product. And maybe you don't get fully there, but you make that small leap to get out there in front of other people. And I think when at that point, at least with me, I feel like the confidence shows through and it's undeniable and it's authentic, right? And I think people then start appreciating what you have and it's you know the data and the numbers and all that stuff just all coincides with the message as opposed to having to make it the message or not support the message you know one of the things that we've talked a lot about especially when we are talking to investors is the idea that there are a lot of really great ideas that exist but people who have those ideas can't articulate their message what do you think about that? Do you think that that is a barrier for the development of, of new technology? Do you think that there are people who are stuck with these ideas in their head and, and can't get them out? That's a good question. I would say that is definitely, you know, I would say a percentage, but I wouldn't think that's a large percentage, actually. I think what I find in most of the entrepreneurs I've kind of seen that are successful is that they, even if they're not the best public speaker or maybe the best presenter, they find other ways to make the business and, and kind of, you know, survive and, and thrive, even if it's not just capital. I mean, I think the media is really focused around capital and valuations, I think, because it's easy to have numbers and it's measurable. But I think other entrepreneurs that I've met who've been successful as well, don't focus on that as much and just figure out what they can do with the things that they can control as opposed to some of the stuff sometimes they can't control as much, you know. But I think the point is right that there's probably a good percentage. I don't think it's as large, a very large percentage, but, you know, single digit percentages of people who have a great vision and maybe product as well, but just can't raise the capital because they don't communicate effectively. And, you know, I wouldn't say I've been the best fundraiser. I've done what I needed to kind of get my businesses to the next level. And it's something I'm, you know, I would say I even probably struggle with. But luckily, I've figured out ways to keep building the team, building the product and, and growing so that when, you know, capital starts knocking on your door, you don't have to quote, be the seller, you could almost be the buyer of capital, right? <laughs> That's a really nice place That's to be. That's a generous sure. place to be. <laughs> That's great. Hey, let's shift gears for a second. And I'd like to get inside your head just on a personal level. 
When you think about great speakers, who are some that come to mind for you personally? Oh, that's that's a tough one. Great speakers. I mean, you reminded me of this, you know, I took a communications class in college as like one of those kind of standard requirements, but I actually learned a lot from it and in terms of public speaking. And I actually picked a speech by MLK. And obviously, like even my teacher was like, Neil, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> because you're not, you know, basically hinting to me, you're not going to do this justice in any way, shape or form. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'd rather aim for the stars and see how close I can get than do someone that no one's ever heard of and something that I don't even want to memorize, you know, and, and go give a speech, right? So that one's always, you know, he's always stuck by me. I mean, I just, the cadence, the confidence, the metaphors and the delivery, I, I just think he has it all kind of figured out. Obviously, there's so many more. I mean, recent history of Barack has, has been a great orator, right? And you know, I think in the business community, there's, and, and tech, there's been, you know, the famous Steve Jobs, obviously, but I actually even think, you know, Bill Gates over time has been a much better speaker, because I think he's actually, especially with the Gates Foundation and everything, he's shifted into things that are much more relatable than selling, per se, which I think has made him a very good speaker. So, you know, I don't have any ones you probably haven't thought about, but those are the ones I, you know, I think about. We're just building a critical mass of the Barack Obamas and the Martin Luther Kings. It's all good. And Steve Jobs. I don't want to leave Steve Jobs off the list. Well, you know, Warren Buffett, also big up there, and, and says that taking a Dale Carnegie class was the best thing he ever did. It changed his career by going to Dale Carnegie because his philosophy is, and I'm going to misquote him, Warren Buffett, that is, that he, the inability to communicate really limits you in everything that you do. So Warren Buffett has been our biggest advocate. <laughs> Wish you would invest in us, but let's talk about TED Talks because that's another interesting form of media and one that we're really fascinated by because we obviously can't help but break down someone's delivery. And, and TED Talks have really disrupted the way people communicate because we lived in a world where everybody delivered via PowerPoint and TED Talks have said, you know, throw the PowerPoint out the window, throw these, you know, perfect scripted speeches out the window and let's share information differently. What are your thoughts on TED Talks? They're amazing. I mean, in lieu of some podcasts, sometimes I'll have those on in the background. Again, they use, you know, reference material, very pointed. And it's like you said, it's a very different than a PowerPoint as, as the main, you know, the figure becomes the main point of reference through the whole talk, as opposed to, you know, this semi-automated, you know, digital type of medium, right? I think, I mean, the numbers don't lie, right? I mean, you probably have a better measure of the views than I do, but anytime I've looked them up, you know, we're talking, you know, all these talks have gotten, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of views, some of them. And so, I think as a medium, I think you're right to kind of say that it's actually become, it's carved out its own different type of communication style. And it's something that I think people are looking for more of, actually, right? 
I agree with you. And I, you can see, I mean, you're right, the numbers, they're growing. And, and it's just one of those mediums, much like podcasts, huge, growing, growing. Everybody in their own time has said at some point, I want to do my own TED Talk. I've got my own idea. And I think it's interesting if you dive a little further into the TED Talks, you know, they have the whole prep process, the application process, and it's very in-depth. And I think people believe that it's easier to get on than maybe it is because there's a whole lot of prep work and there's training that they provide to help you get ready for your TED Talk. We have several colleagues that prep speakers for TED Talks as well. And it makes me think about you when you think about presenting or when you're getting ready, just from your own experience, what's your go-to process for preparing when you're going out to give a presentation, whether it's a, a pitch or anything else you're up there how do you prepare to get yourself set up for success for me it's always been about organizing kind of the few key points don't ever try to memorize i memory i wouldn't say is my strongest asset i tend to try to solve kind of problems on the fly and and focus there so for me it's always been know my key points pitch the story to a lot of different people early practice practice uh, but go in there, know it's going to be different every time, right? I don't try to ever get to a place where I deliver the same exact thing every time because I think that moves into the memorization thing. And if you don't mention a point, I think you take the cues from the audience, you go with it. And I've always kind of tried, and, you know, investor meetings are a little bit different, but in audience meetings is try to really engage the audience and have more of a conversation around what you're talking about, whether even if it be like show of hands, but get the audience engaged because the last thing you want to be up there is seeing the boredom or back to our other points, seeing people start pulling out their phones and start scrolling through, you know, Instagram or Twitter or so on as a speaker, right? So I think those are the things I, you know, I tend to really focus on a short list of points that I feel like keep me anchored around what I want to discuss and the flow of it and have that kind of there in case I need to glance at it, but then get comfortable enough with the presentation via practice that lets me go. And I don't think I've got it down. I'd love to, at some point I'll probably work with you guys to try to I want to talk a little more about the practice part because just since you since you bring it up, obviously, this is where we love to dive into what we do and, and how we do it and what we know to be true. And I'm, I'm a complete believer in what you said. Memorization absolutely is not the solution here because it's not a one-size-fits-all, right? And you can't allow yourself to have the nuances that you want to react and what we consider sort of dynamic and engaging presentation requires that versus the memorization. And God forbid somebody asks you a question that you're not prepared for and it takes you off script and then it's a complete disaster. When, when you say you practice, I'm just curious, do you practice in front of your team? Do you practice in front of a mirror? What, what does practice look like for you? So first, I actually practiced myself, like kind of in a room like this, you know, just myself talking through it. And then I graduate I haven't done the mirror as much, which maybe is a good tip, actually. But then I graduate to kind of close friends and confidants. You know, luckily in a business, you know, I have my co-founder, I have some team members that I can go through the pitch with, even work through it all together, specifically around investing and so on. And then you try to go to your places where you can really practice. So like, you know, for interviewing, they tell any candidate, go, you know, apply to apply to some jobs that 
either you know or just kind of practice interviews just to start feeling comfortable with the process. And I think all these kind of things apply where you get there and you kind of decrease that level of nervousness because you've done it and every situation is different, but you get to this place where you start you know, forming those habits like athletes do and you can feel natural and it's not as big as you think it is. And in hindsight, none of these things really are, right? I mean, that's what well, they really are. Yeah, it's not rocket science, right? You, you brought up sports, which I, we use that as a great analogy. We try to share with people that it, you think about golf. If you hire a golf instructor, a tennis instructor, they're going to come in and they're going to change your stance and your grip and your head and body alignment. And it's going to feel really awkward. And the goal there, though, is to do it again and again, right? Practice on the driving range until that form feels comfortable. And we tell people all the time, this is the same thing. It's not rocket science. It really, truly is understanding what form by way of your posture, the vocal tonality that you use, how you use eye contact. It's all very mechanical, but it requires that practice. So I was really intrigued to hear you say that you work a lot with your team. You know, you sort of have bands, you do it yourself. And then when you're comfortable, you go to your team. And then when you're comfortable beyond that, you sort of have a trusted outer ring, right? That you want to introduce that to. I always find in those situations that it's a struggle to get the feedback from them to tell me what I can do better, how I can improve. Oftentimes, because some people just aren't comfortable giving it. They don't really want to say that. And especially your team might be that way. You know, certain individuals, they feel like, oh, can I really say that? And am I saying it right? How do you help sort of navigate the feedback stream so that it helps you improve and get better when you practice like that? Yeah, I guess I'm lucky enough that my my team's pretty critical (laughs) of me. And so I guess I get that level of feedback more. But I think your point is right. And you know, God, wouldn't it be great if there's something like, you know, like on the tech side, there's like usertesting.com where, you know, you can get like essentially strangers to come and test your website or your app or whatever. It would be great to get that for like pitches, you know, like, and I, I, th- I would imagine through technology today, that's actually feasible. Maybe there is a service like that, but it's a good question. I mean, I think for me, it's always like you kind of feel, I feel like with you can gauge kind of the room and the overall feedback and the, your own comfort level to some extent. You know, at some point it is your message and it's what you're going to put out there. So it's hard to adjust to every point of criticism as well. And so you just get comfortable. As long as for me, it's like if I get comfortable with my 10 minutes or what I did with that, then that's the best I can take and, you know, I'll kind of move on. But it's a good point for sure. Yeah. How do you guys deal with that with, you know, your clients and customers? I'm kind of curious. That's really the purpose of our app is a way when we're not part of the training, our app allows them to practice and get feedback like they have a coach. So it's not crowdsourcing feedback. It's actually giving feedback based on algorithms that we've developed that align to how most trainers and most coaches teach on presentation delivery skills. So we're tracking vocal elements, we're tracking body language elements, eye contact, things like that. So what we're able to do is at least give the user an idea of what they're doing and how they're doing it and we score them. So they can see after they do a presentation, if if, if you were gonna be practicing a pitch, you could use presenter and you'd be able 
to see, hey, my body language was a little too closed off or I wasn't loud enough. Or as you shared earlier, lots of filler words, lots of ums and so's and, and things like that. And they're able to then take lessons on how to improve it without having to have a live coach. So, you know, our philosophy from day one was feedback is the most important thing. It's great to learn the skills. It's great to get that knowledge, but you have to do it and you have to get the right kind of objective and subject matter based feedback to be able to truly make improvements. We're huge advocates of that in our products and all of our work really is aligned with that. It's the most important thing for sure. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's amazing what technology can do for you at this point, right? It it is amazing. When we started our business back in 2014, people said, what are you doing? It's way too early. No one's going to do this. Who's going to present into a computer or a phone? And now, obviously, that's changed so much. And to your point, we're doing everything on our mobile devices. It makes complete sense that we can just pop it open and people do it anyway. They'll just record themselves on their phone if they want to practice something and they can listen back, but now they can do it and get scored and get feedback and coaching on it, which makes for a much better experience for them. So the time is now to do that for sure. (laughs) Hey, listen, Neil, we're out of time, but thank you so much for your time today. It was really interesting meeting you. We're absolutely going to check out your product because I think we can use it for our podcast. So we're super excited about that, and we hope we have the opportunity down the road to help you with what you're doing and would love to chat with you again in the future. Yes, definitely. And I'll be checking out your product some more. Definitely when I'm on, on the circuit of presenting, I think it will be an invaluable resource. So I'm looking forward to it. Thank awesome. you for that. Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, Neil. So great thanks, to Tim. Thanks, Tammy. And you all have a great one. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.